right, how's everybody tonight? Praise the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 16 and 17, one of the most uh, challenging yet incredibly uplifting passages you'll find in Jeremiah. So I'm not sure which one you're going to like, the challenging part or the encouraging part. Uh, but nonetheless, you get both. You get both today. How to survive in a spiritual decline. How to survive in a spiritual decline. When there is a spiritual recession, as it were, in all around us, when that is happening, what do you do? How do you survive that part? How do you deal with spiritual decline all around you and not have it affect you? How not to have it affect you? So Jeremiah will teach us more tonight about that. How to deal with a spiritual decline, whether it's in the nation, whether it's in the church, and um, how to deal with it. Because we could survive it. Jeremiah did. And he actually prospered in a spiritual decline in Israel at this time. I do believe that uh, we are living in a spiritual battle in our nation. Uh, reminds us a lot of what happened to Israel. Remember Israel? Uh, broken promises. One thing you can say about the Jewish people in the Old Testament. They had the law. They had the word of God. They had the promises. They had the covenants. Because the old, even the new covenants in the Old Testament. And broken promises. They did not fulfill the word of God. They were unfaithful to the covenant. Now, of course, when we see the Jewish people, uh, as it were, both Old and New Testament, we see the church as well, the people of God. Both Old and New Testament would include the Jewish people and the church as well. So when we see the difficulties of Israel in the Old Testament, we have to always see the church. We have to see the church, as it were, through those lenses. We see those lenses. It has a... um, Bifocals, right? You have the bifocals? I have them. Uh, sort of transitional with no line, but sometimes I used to have the line. And, you know, you look down a little bit and, uh, you know, you can see further and you can see close. And um, when you see close, you see Israel. And then you look up a little further out, you see the church. And so that's what you have here today is when we see Israel, we see the church. Paul the Apostle told us that, didn't he? He says all these things were written in the Old Testament uh, for our lesson, our learning, our encouragement, that we may have hope and not to repeat the same sins that they committed. So what was going on at the time of Jeremiah? Of course, he's in Jerusalem, and time was running out. Now, we guys have been through this already, so don't want to delay any uh, preambles, but uh, time was running out for what? What was coming? Anybody know what was coming to to Judah, to the kingdom of Judah? Yeah, exactly. Judgment was coming. The exile was coming. God has said that Babylon was coming from the north. So this is the background to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is living at a time where a steep spiritual decline among God's people. Steep. And and I do believe as a nation today, we are living in a spiritual crisis as a nation. Spiritual crisis is a uh, a spiritual battle in our nation. We see it in different forms. We see it in society. We see it in how it looks in uh, media and society and politics and social things. But it's really behind the scenes. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. The forces of darkness are up against God's people. And, um, you know, sometimes they may dress themselves as angels of light. So I'm not saying it's just because it looks spooky. That's, okay, it has to be the enemy. The enemy can come as an angel of light. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of quote-unquote good in our nation that people are trying to do good. That's not God. Just because it starts with G doesn't mean it's God. It's might be good, but it's good without God, It's which is part of the strategy of the enemy, right? But Satan wants us to keep us from this book. This is his strategy, is to keep us from this uh, this book, this word. And because um, the thing that hates, uh, Satan hates the most, the thing that Satan hates the most is truth. 
It's truth. If he can hate the truth and get us to be less confident in the truth, then uh, he has us right where he wants them. He wants us. So pray that the enemy doesn't distract us. Pray that the enemy doesn't distract you and I from this book and from each other, because that's the unity that God wants in us is the unity in his word, unity in the truth. So may the Lord give us strength to stand together in these difficult times as a nation, right? Because it, um, things will continue to become more challenging. We're two months away from 2022. I don't know where 2021 went, but uh, somehow it uh, slipped through the fingers. It's like time is like water, right? You, you put your hands out or like in the air, you try to catch it and try to hold on to it, and it just seems to slip on by. But the prophet Jeremiah had a message for the people. This is his message. In a time of spiritual decline, uh, Jeremiah spoke like many of the prophets. See, many of the prophets did not have a, a brand new message. Sometimes they did. But Jeremiah was from the town called Anatoth. Anatoth. We learned that in chapter 1. And Anatoth was a, pre- a place where the priests lived, and so he lived in a priestly town, in a pr- priestly home. So he knew his Bible. So when we read tonight, chapter 16 and 17, it will remind you uh, this passage right here. Cursed is the man who doesn't tr- uh, who trusts in man, who draws strength from man. The person that trusts in the Lord will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Sounds like someone, exactly like someone. And you would say, yes, it's the comparison of the man who trusts the Lord and the man who trusts in man. The man who trusts in the Lord and the man who trusts in man. It will be a blessing and a curse. And so, yes, it does sound like someone because it, he got it from someone. But he puts it in the context of his time. So Jeremiah is a man who knew his Bible. He knew the Torah and he knew the Psalms. And one key verse for tonight that we want to see is turn to chapter 17. Turn to chapter 17 and verse 13. This is the key, believe, I believe, for these two chapters. It would be this passage here. O Lord, hope of Israel. By the way, we're looking at both chapters tonight. We might not finish chapter 17, but we'll get to the crucial part, and we'll leave, that, uh, we'll leave the end for the next time. O Lord, the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from the earth will be written down because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord, forsaken the fountain of living water. The Lord is the fountain of living water. And we had to go back even to Jeremiah chapter 2 when, they, when he told them that there were two evils that they had done. They had committed two evils. They forsaken the fountain of living water, which was the Lord. The fountain of living water is a source of all water. And they had made for themselves cisterns. Cisterns. There were these big cisterns you could put on the ground in Israel at the time. This is before Jesus came, and they, they hewn them out. They dug them out, and they, it was sort of where they put the water in. And um, if they weren't careful, those cisterns would have cracks. And the water, as much water you put in, as much water would get out. So you'd think, oh, we're going to store all this water. We made cisterns, Israel said, and they can hold no water. And they forsook the Lord. He's the one that gave the water. And so I think this is the key passage here to understand both chapters is they forsook the Lord. Now, when did this take place? Well, when you read Jeremiah, he, he prophesied during a time of many kings, many, many kings. And one of the kings was Josiah, the first one that he, um, that he grew up with. He was actually really, uh, close in age to Josiah. But this chapter takes place at the time of Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim. This is around the year 
600 um, AD, or sorry, BC. And this is the time, 600 years about before Jesus even came to this world, before Jesus came to Judah, came to Israel. So we're dealing with the period of time of about 31 years where Jehoiakim was the king. The wickedness of Jehoiakim was terrible. He was a king that was, of course, into idolatry, immorality, vice, abuse, child sacrifice, the burning of children to Molech. This is the child sacrifice that was around the time of Jeremiah, time of Jehoiakim. And the wickedness was so dark, it just got darker and darker and darker. And guess what? That wasn't the biggest problem. The biggest problem is the people loved it. The people loved it. They wanted no change in society. They wanted to keep it just the way it was because things were just enough. Things were just good enough economically, and things were getting, uh, they hoped that things were getting better, but they weren't getting better. The people loved it. And so Jeremiah prays, and that's what we've been studying. He prays, and he prays constantly. Uh, you've seen the prayers, right? You've heard the prayers. You've read them with me. Um, anybody have any thoughts on Jeremiah's prayers? There's a lot of them, by the way. We read every chapter, and, and today is no different. There's going to be a lot of prayers. The prayers of Jeremiah. Anybody have any uh, thoughts on the prayers of Jeremiah? Maybe comments or complaints about the prayers of Jeremiah? No one? Okay. I'll tell you one thing. He prayed constantly. I'll tell you one thing. He prayed tearfully. When was the last time we prayed and you cried? Right? Uh, he prayed with intensity. Right? It wasn't just, uh, Lord, laying me down, my soul to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. That wasn't his prayer. It was intense. It was tearful. It was impactful. And it got to the point where even God told them, Jeremiah, I'm not going to listen to your prayers anymore. Even if you were stand there and prayed, it's not going to change anything. Babylon is coming. The exile is inevitable. And the invasion is going to happen. The temple, the city will be destroyed. And they're going to go into exile and they're going to weep. The people are going to weep until they weep all of their idolatry out of their system. Literally is what God was saying. They're going to go into exile and Judah is going to weep in exile until all of their idolatry and immorality is out of them. And boy, did they weep in the exile. And it was tearful and it was difficult. And people were falling Left and right, spiritually. They, uh, a spiritual decline. Very steep, the time of Jeremiah. But, one thing you know, Jeremiah was not in decline. Jeremiah was actually growing stronger. There was a collapse in society, and Jeremiah was not collapsing. Their standards were gone, but Jeremiah stood firm. So it tells you something, that no matter what's going on around you, it could actually prosper you. And spiritually prosper you. In a time of decline, you can prosper in the Lord in such a way that even when the standards are gone, you can remain firm. Because Jeremiah stood firm. And this is what we're going to see today. And so I, I think of our society. I think of uh, what's happening in Israel at the time of Jeremiah. And I think of the choices God gives us. You know, I'm thinking, what kind of society does God want for us? What kind of society does God want for us? And what kind of society do we want not just as Christians, but maybe as Americans. What kind of society do we want to see? And, uh, you know, Judah wanted a society, but they wanted a society with no repercussions of their choices. They wanted a society that they can do whatever they want, they can live without God and say, ah, it's all good. But then when the payment came, you know, because there's always a payment. When you decide to live in a society without God, there's a payment. 
just people don't like the payment. People don't like the repercussions, right? When the price tag came and it was time to pay the piper because of what they had done in society, oh no, we don't want it, we don't want that. Well, they had built themselves a society without God and they left God out of the picture. And so Jeremiah comes and he preaches, just like the Old Testament prophets, just like Moses. God gives you two choices. There's roads here. There's blessings and there's curses. You'll see it today. You know, Jesus spoke that way too. That wasn't just Jeremiah. It was Jesus. Anybody think of Jesus giving people choices? No? All right, I'll tell you one. Uh, kind of quiet today. You guys are scaring me a little bit. All right, yes. In Genesis? No, something Jesus said. Something Jesus said, yeah. Something Jesus said, right? He said, there's a narrow road and there's a wide road. There's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate, right? There is a rock that you can build on or there's a sand that you can build on, right? There is the... There are the wise virgins you can emulate, or there are the foolish virgins you could emulate, right? He always gives us choices. Moses was the same, right? There's the wheat and the tares, the chaff and the wheat. Constantly, Jesus was telling us there's two choices. And by the way, there's only two. We'll talk about third options, because people want a third option, and there isn't really a third option. So we'll look at it this way. Chapter 16 and 17 deals with the kingdom, deals with individuals, and society. We probably don't get to the society one until maybe... Next time, because it's really, it's like a sandwich, right? <laughs> the kingdom, society, and in the middle is an individual. There wasn't much hope for the kingdom, except the promises of God to restore them. Uh, there wasn't much hope for society. They had abandoned the Lord, but the, you know where the choice was? The individual. The individual had a choice, and that's what we're going to be talking about more today than anything, because the kingdom had already, God had already decided. They're going into judgment. Society had already fallen. They're going into exile. But the individuals who listened to Jeremiah and put their trust in the Lord, they could be saved, they could be spared. And that's what Jeremiah was sent to preach to the individual, to the nation. Yes, bad news was going to come, but bad news was going to follow by good news. God was going to restore them. Not yet. It'll take some time. They would go into exile, but the individuals did not have to go in the same way the society went. So let's look at the first few verses of chapter 16. Because, uh, uh, by the way, chapter 16, the whole chapter, all the way to chapter 17, verse 4, is one section, and it's about the kingdom. And, oh, that kingdom was divided. And by the time, you know, of course, you guys remember David, the kingdom, the expansion through David, the expansion through Solomon, peace all around him. But by the time you got to Jeroboam and Rehoboam, as Frank's not here, but as Frank would say, they were both bums. Jeroboam and Rehoboam, right? They were both bums. They, um, Frank's not here, I miss him. Um, the divided kingdom. It happened because of the two gen, the general and the son of uh, Solomon, and they divided the nation, and by the time Israel went into exile with the Assyrian uh, invasion, there was only the tiny little kingdom of Judah, two tribes from this kingdom to this. wasn't much left of David's kingdom. wasn't much left of Solomon's kingdom, and it was a tragedy. And part of chapter 16, actually all of chapter 16, all the way to verse 4, it's about the kingdom. It's about the land. And actually the, the word land appears over and over and over again here. Uh, the land, the land, the land, the land. And God has a lot to say about the land because the land is basically God's gift to Israel. But it's, it's very important. Even to this day, we're still talking about the land, aren't we? The land of Israel, the contention in the, in the Middle East, you know, the, 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 the terrorism and what's happening in the land, Gaza. Palestinian, West Bank, Israel. What belongs to Israel? What doesn't belong to Israel? 
all that, all that land was promised by God to Israel as a nation. It says, you know, this is my land. I'm going to give you the land to take care of, to actually take care of it and to secure it. Uh, but if you don't follow my ways, I can kick you out of my land. And by the way, it's not just Israel. God is in charge of all the lands of the world. The earth is the Lord in all of its fullness. Paul says in, in Acts 17, you can read it on your own when you want this, God is actually the one that sets limits to the land, wherever nation, doesn't matter which nation it is, God sets the limits to those nations. It's God who sets the borders. It's God who's in charge of giving the land to individuals. Uh, as history shows us, you know, if, uh, if they're faithful to what God has shown that people, they will prosper. If they're unfaithful to what God has shown those, those people, that land, then those land, the land gets reduced and there's a fight and there's, there's uh, attrition in those lands. You can see it everywhere today in Africa, Azerbaijan with Armenia. All these tensions in, in the world about lands has to do with our people being faithful to what God is saying. And God sets the limits. And God gave that land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob after they came out of uh, Egypt. He told them, you will be prosperous. You will have peace if you follow my ways and uh, don't go into idolatry. And unfortunately, they did not follow through, right? They, they, um, after Egypt, after, uh, after they came out of Egypt, they came into the land. They were unfaithful. And after the kingdom, the one was taken to Assyria, and we're going to see that the kingdom of Judah will go into Babylon. Let's read verse 1. Jeremiah is told something personally about himself that is really kind of distressful to a lot of people, but let's understand what Jeremiah was feeling like. The word of the Lord came to me, verse 1, chapter 16, You shall not take a wife for yourself, nor have sons and daughters, but thus says the Lord, concerning the sons and the daughters born in this place, concerning their mothers who bear them and their fathers who beget them in this land, they will die of deadly diseases. They will not be lamented or buried. They'll be as dung on the surface of the ground and come to an end by the sword, famine. Carcasses will come food for the birds of the sky, for the beasts of the earth, for the Lord. For thus says the Lord, do not enter a house of the morning or go and lament and console them. For I have withdrawn my peace from this place, declares the Lord, my loving kindness and compassion. Both great men and small will die in this land. They will not go be buried. They will not be lamented, nor will anyone gash himself or shave his head for them. Men will not break bread and mourning for them to comfort them anymore for the dead, nor give them a cup of consolation to drink for anyone's father or mother. Moreover, you shall not go into the house of feasting to sit with them, or to eat, or to drink with them. Incredible stuff, isn't it? Jeremiah is told, Jeremiah, you're not going to get married. Why aren't you not going to get married, Jeremiah? Because uh, there's trouble coming into this land. There's trouble coming to this land, and um, you're not going to get married. You're not going to have children. And um, that must have been really tough for Jeremiah. He was probably in his late 20s, early 30s, maybe by this time. And uh, must have been tough for him to hear that. Uh, it would have been really comforting right, to have a wife dealing with the issues of ministry and the stress of ministry. I thank God for my wife. You know, you can talk to her about, I talk to her a lot of things, and, and sometimes it's not easy. And having somebody there, it makes all the difference in the world. But sometimes God says, you're not going to get married. Why? Jeremiah, society's gone. The society that you want and what you think it's going to be in that society, it's not there. Uh, in fact, uh, having children and having a wife could be very difficult in a society like this. People are going to go through tough times. And I think the hardest thing to do is it's to be involved emotionally 
you know, having family, knowing that they will suffer. God is sparing Jeremiah of any further suffering. This, this is the reality of it. Um, don't go to funerals, he says. Don't go to social activities. Don't go to parties. Uh, because sadness is coming. It's, it's coming to the land. And um, there's a point where having family could actually be more hurtful for the individual because it's one thing when you suffer yourself. You can deal with it. I know I think about it, and I'm like, well, if I had to go through it myself, it wouldn't be hard. It would be hard, but it would you, you deal with it, right? Seeing your children suffering, seeing your wife suffering, seeing your husband suffering, it's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? And so God said, you're not going to get married, Jeremiah, because times are going to be very difficult. In fact, uh, didn't Jesus say something like this? Jesus said, uh, you know, there are eunuchs that have been made eunuchs by men. You know, it's been thrusted upon them. And they're very eunuchs, people that don't get married, for the kingdom of God. What did Jesus mean by that? There are some eunuchs that have been made eunuchs by men. Okay, we know that. We know some, it could have been like Daniel, could have been somebody in the kingdom, uh, like in Persia or Babylon, who uh, were castrated by the kingdom, by the king, because uh, they were to only serve the king. Right? But when Jesus said there were some who, by choice, have been made eunuchs for the kingdom of God. Anybody have an idea why Jesus said that? To serve the Lord. Yeah. Basically, they made a decision. Yeah, they made a decision not to engage in what normal activity would be, socially, marriage, children, the normal, the normal state of a man. God wants us to do that. That's a normal state for humanity. But there's a time where Jesus said, because of the kingdom of God, because of the situation, some, for the kingdom, have chosen not to be married and have children because they could serve the Lord more effectively and could put up with things and go through stuff. I know missionaries who are not married that they suffer a lot. They suffer loss. They suffer hunger. They go through villages and different parts of the world, and they're not married. And if they had children, it would have been very, very difficult to go through with that. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says the same thing. I think it's chapter 7. He says, the pressures of this life will come to such a point in society that would be easier to be a single person than to be married. Now, when somebody hears that, right, and they're like, oh, my goodness, here I go. It's not me. I'm not going to get married, right? Uh, but it's talking about God's calling in that individual's life, right, where the standards and difficulties of life, the sufferings, it's a lot easier to deal with it without children. This is what Jeremiah was dealing with. This is what Paul is talking about, that when you see your children suffer, it's a lot harder. And um, the, 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 the singles could say, well, if I have to suffer, I'll suffer myself. And God says, yeah, you probably bear more than seeing your wife or your children suffer. And this is Jeremiah's situation. For the sake of his ministry and his calling and what the time of the situation he was on, um, having children would have been a detriment at this point. Children are a blessing. They're from God, absolutely. In certain situations, in certain instances, it could actually hurt Jeremiah much more. It could affect his calling and ministry had he gone into that relationship and had children. And many times that happens to a lot of people, a lot of pastors, a lot of ministers. You know, they see the suffering of the world and they see their children suffering and it's tough. It's really tough. Here's Jeremiah. You're not going to go into that relationship. You're not going to have it uh, because it'll be a lot harder for you, Jeremiah, had you have, if you have a wife and if you have children. I can only imagine seeing my children suffer, what it would be like. Well, the Lord is sparing because the time is a very difficult time in Judah. Now, let's jump to verse 10. If they ask you, Jeremiah, what's going on, you need to tell them that they forsook me. 
Now, when, the, when you tell this people all these words, they will say to you, for what reason has the Lord declared all this great calamity against us? You know, so the, the, the obvious question, right? Hey, if the Lord says this is going to happen, what's the reason? Right? They want to know. The uh, middle of verse 10. What is our iniquity? What is our sin which we have committed against the Lord our God? It's not like they didn't know, right? But this is a natural response. Lord, what are you doing this to us? You know, we're your people. Verse 11. Then you're to say to them, Jeremiah, it is because of your forefathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and have followed other gods and served them and bowed down to them. But me, they have forsaken me and they have not kept my word, my law. You too have done evil, even more than your forefathers. For behold, you are each one walking according to the stubbornness of his own evil heart without listening to me. So I will hurl you, hurl you out of this land into the land which you have not known, neither know, neither you nor your fathers. Uh, and there you will serve other gods day and night, for I will grant you no favor. So what's all this is all about, right? Tell them your forefathers did this. It's going back generations. This is interesting. Not only God mentions the forefather, but he says, you're also doing it too. And you become, what does he say? You have done evil even more than your forefathers. This is quite interesting to what Moses said in the Torah about God visiting the sins to the third and fourth generation. Now, third and fourth generation, that would be great. That'd be great grandchildren, right? You know, you have your children, you have, you have a person, you have a man or woman, and you have children, and you have grandchildren, and you have great grandchildren, third and fourth generation. And it's quite interesting that somehow the, gene, the, the generations from the forefathers, let's say three or four generations early, to now where they are in Jeremiah's days, forsook the Lord. They kept forsaking the Lord. Each generation got progressively worse. And you know this is true in Christian society too. At one time in our nation, our great-grandfathers went to church. They were probably closer to being Christians. In fact, I could tell you that there were probably, a lot, there's a lot of people today my age that their grandparents were probably Christians, but their parents were not, and they themselves are totally not. How did that happen? Progressively, that generation did not pass on the gospel to their next generation. And or you would say, well, my grandfather was a Christian and he went to church. Yeah, but somehow your dad went to church, but he was not a Christian. Hey, he's probably a good man. But then you are neither a good man, nor go to church, nor a Christian. Because the idea is that the next generation thinks they could be good without God. That's how the generation thinks. They may have good morals. They may have good uh, passing down of morality from grandparent to parent to children. Uh, maybe the dad is a good moral person. Don't go to church. He's not a Christian. And they, it's, it's not automatic that the next generation is going to be a Christian either. So if that doesn't even get passed to the grandchildren, guess what happens? The grandchildren don't become Christians. They're not morals and they're not good. And they're very different than their grandparents. Now take it to one generation extra and say, now let's do great-grandchildren. It becomes more and more diluted. Right? It happens in our nation. Our, our, you know, let's say people that were in World War I, great-grandparents or grandparents in World War I who came back from the war, who lived through difficulties. A lot of them became believers. A lot of them came back and didn't believe in God anymore because at that time there was such a confusion in our world about how it, how God can allow such wars and, and these terrible things happening in our world. And then they have children, and those children 
were sort of skeptical about God. Right? Maybe they, they went to church but didn't really care for being born again. But they were good moral people, right? They were good, good moral people. Then they had children. And those children didn't went to church, never heard the gospel because their parents didn't want to go to church either. And now those children have children. So now we get to the great-grandchildren, which is as far as I believe a person can influence you know, I, I have to think of the fact that if the Lord tarries, I, I'm influencing my children. That's going to have an influence on my grandchildren, right? And I don't know. I live long enough to see great-grandchildren. Well, that's as far as I can influence. Now, Roy and Carol, you have great-grandchildren, right? It's about as, it's as far as you can influence. Now, man can influence his great-grandchildren for good or for evil. It goes the other way, too. You could influence them for the gospel. You could influence them for evil. But at some point... That, gen- that generation becomes diluted if they don't come to the Lord at some point in the middle. Now, thank God for those who maybe had great-grandparents that were believers, and they themselves became Christians now. And for the first time, remember, remember they didn't get passed along. Maybe for the first time, it's like a, a fresh experience for kids to come to know the Lord because their parents didn't know the Lord or their grandparents didn't know the Lord, but maybe their great-grandparents were Christians, right? So a lot of people are coming to know the Lord now, praise God, that never had a Christian upbringing. It's brand new to them, even though some were in the genealogy. Some of them were Christians. It's interesting in our nation how it's, how it's coming about. But you could say the same thing is happening to us that happened to Israel. That generation, third or fourth generation, they were worse than their forefathers. And that is absolutely true. Great-grandchildren, if the gospel doesn't get passed along, will do worse things than their great-grandparents. Why? Because society deteriorates and becomes more evil along the way. And remember, you know, goodness is not passed along through genealogy. You know, goodness is not passed along. Um, somebody might be good, but that goodness won't be passed on. What I mean by good is maybe a good moral person. But don't count on your children being moral without God. And that's what, that was a big mistake that a lot of societies made. They believed that you could be a good moral person. You could be a conservative. You can be, and, and then expect your children to be the same way? No. Unless they know the gospel, it will not happen. It will not happen. Society will permeate them uh, more and more with sin. Because we're for fallen creation. We're a fallen creation. And, and the further we go without God, the further in line we go without God, the more and more sinful our generation will become. That, uh, you know, I don't have to explain it to you guys. You have grandchildren, great-grandchildren. You know how difficult it is to win them back to the Lord because of society and it's difficult to bring them to Christ because of the pool of society and the sinful behaviors that they themselves have. Now, let's continue, because that was just not the problem in Israel. It's a problem for us today. But there is a promise to the land. God is going to restore them. Verse 14, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought for the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries where he had banished them. For I will restore them to their own land, which I gave to their fathers. God has a plan for the nation. The generation at this time in Jeremiah was going to go into exile. But God says, I'm going to visit you. Later on in Jeremiah, we're going to find out there's going to be 70 years, 70 years until God brings them back. They're going to spend 70 years in exile. That was decreed, that's determined. But God said, it's not done yet. I will bring you back and I'm going to restore you. And it's not going to be like when I brought you out of Egypt. It's not going to be known. I am not going to be known like the God who brought you out of Egypt. 
I'm going to be known as the God who brought you out of the north. That's where Babylon was. And not only that, we also know, we know from history now, and we have our Bibles open, that they did come back. Read Ezra, read Nehemiah, read the books, right? And Jesus did come. God sent his greatest gift. He sent his son. And they rejected him. And they didn't learn the lesson, and they were exiled again out of the land in 70 AD by the Romans. And this time, it wasn't 70 years that they were gone out of the land, 2,000 years out of the land. And yet, in every society in the world where there were Jews, they kept their identity. One of the miracles of modern history. No matter where you went, you went to China, you went to Africa, you went to South America, Jews kept the Passover, Jews kept their name, Jews kept their culture and identity, and now God says it's time to bring them back. And in 1948, guess what happened? He brought them back, and they've been around since 1948. They've been around for a while. And it's a great encouragement to God's people is to say the Lord is not done. Look what it says here. It says it's not going to be just as uh, as the Lord got you out of the land of Egypt. It's going to be I got you from the land of the north and from all the countries where he had banished them. For I will restore them to their own land, which I gave to their fathers. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because it even says it's not just the north, but all the countries. Um, which is a, a bit prophetic, isn't it? Because it's not just Babylon, but all the countries. It's almost a prophetic purposes here for God, for Israel, that they were going to be banished into the into all the nations of the world, which they were, but he's going to restore them. Verse 16, Behold, I'm going to send them many fishermen, declares the Lord. I will fish for them. Afterwards, I will send them from any hunters, and they will hunt them from every mountain and every hill and from the clefts of the rock. That's a weird one. God is going to send people to hunt them down, so they can come back to the land. Um, quite interesting what happened to the Jewish people. What, what actually caused them to go back to the land? It was the threat. It was the threat, the military threat, the governmental threats, not only of the Holocaust, but other countries like Russia, that actually brought them back into Israel. They said, it's not safe for us. And by the way, they're even saying that today. In many Muslim countries, Jews are not safe. Even places like France, which I'm not ready to call them a Muslim country, but it's almost a Muslim country. France, Jewish, French are heading to Israel. It's quite interesting what's happening in our world today. Uh, God's going to send hunters. God's going to send fishermen. And they're going to come out of the land, out of those countries. And they're going to go into the land. For my eyes are all on their ways. They're not hidden from my face. No, is there iniquity concealed from my eyes? I will first doubly pay their iniquity for their sin because they have polluted my land, defiled my inheritance for the carcasses of their desolate idols and with their abominations. O oh Lord, my strength and my stronghold, says Jeremiah, and my refuge in the day of distress, to you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but falsehood, futility, and things of no profit. Can a man make idols for himself? Yet they are not gods. Therefore, behold, I am going to make them known this time. I will make them know my power and might, and they will know that my name is the Lord. This is quite interesting here. Um, what is going to happen? The nation is going to be rebuilt. God is going to bring them back after 2,000 years, after, the, after what happened in Babylon. And, you know, it's interesting. God's going to do something in the future. He's going to bring the nations to himself. So this is, we're looking way down in this little passage here. We're looking way down in the corridor of history. We're looking at the time of Jesus ruling and reigning when nations will come 
Like it says in Isaiah 2. From the ends of the earth they will come. And they're going to leave their gods, their idols. And they're going to know the name of the Lord. Well, don't hold your breath. It's not happening now, as it were. But one day they will come. Nations will come and know the Lord. But it has happened in a, in a, in a strange way, isn't it? It has happened already through the gospel. Nations, Gentiles have come to know the Lord, have left their gods, and have followed the God of Israel. Absolutely. And it will happen ultimately when Jesus comes. The nations of the world will set themselves to worship the only true God. It will be the Lord. And leave all their idolatry out of the way. And they will only worship the Lord. So this is going to happen. So what will happen is, it will be the end. It will be at the end. Jeremiah is looking further ahead and saying, Oh, there's a good place for Israel. There's a good place for Judah. There's a good place for the Jews. But it's going to happen in the future. Do you want this to happen, Jeremiah? Do you want this to happen, Israel? Right? The nation had a choice. They were in spiritual decline. No doubt in a very, very spiritual decline. And they could see that God was going to judge them, but they could also see that God was going to bless them eventually. It was going to bring them back. When? At the time when they regather back from, his, from the nations, God was going to bring them back and put them in the land, and then they will know the Lord, and they will bring other nations to him. Uh, we obviously haven't seen the end of this yet, and God has given them a choice. Let's go to chapter 17. Let's go to verse 5. Let's go to verse 5, because now we're dealing with the individual level, the individual level. So we know what's going to happen to the nation. The the kingdom is going to suffer loss. They're going to exile. It's a very spiritual decline. But in the middle of it, God gives individuals hope. Individuals hope. And uh, we're going to focus on this tonight more than anything because uh, the the, the third part is society. What is society going to do? And that's at the end of chapter 17. But in verse 5, it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert, and he will not see prosperity when it comes, but he will live in stony waste in the wilderness, and the land of salt without inhabitants. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose trust is the Lord, for he will be like a deeply, like a, a tree planted by the water, that extends its root by its streams, and will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green and will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor stop producing fruit, nor cease from yielding its fruit. There is a spiritual decline that is happening all around Jeremiah. In fact, it's like a downward spiral, right? Like a downward spiral, right? And it's like Jeremiah zooms in, right, from the nation, talking about the kingdom and the land, and he zooms in on an individual. Not you, just Alyssa, but individuals, right? Zooms in on an individual and says, okay, what does God have for the individual? We know what God has for the nation. They're going to be exiled. But one day, when the Messiah comes, he will bring them back as a nation. Blessed is that man. Praise the Lord. Blessed is that nation. But what about you, God will say? What about you individuals who are in the midst of a spiritual decline? How are you going to make it through? How are you going to get through and prosper, even prosper during spiritual decline all around Jeremiah? How to make, how to make it through this time? And um, even if it's all around us and very bleak, I believe the men of God can prosper in spiritual times like this. 
the man or woman of God can prosper even when the nation is in decline, even when the church is under judgment. Individual Christians will prosper, right? And the key was verse 13. Remember that? The key was verse 13. It's the fountain of living water. What do we do with such thing, right? Um, give you a couple of things. Number one, when things are happening all around us that is very difficult, spiritual decline all around us, people are falling by the wayside spiritually. Remember this, there is no such thing as neutrality. What do you mean neutrality? God presents to us two pictures here. A man who is cursed, verse 5, right? Cursed is a man. And a man who is blessed, verse 7. A man who is blessed and a man who is cursed. Uh, any other options? Nope, I didn't read any other option. And you're right, there's no third option. Uh, Jesus said... You cannot serve two masters. He didn't say three masters or four masters or five, right? Uh, he says there's a, there's two roads. One's broad, one's narrow, right? Uh, two destinations. There's two destinations in our in our world. And Jeremiah is going to use the picture now of trees. Two trees. Two destinations. Two trees. Curses and blessings. Aren't people looking for a third option? Oh, yeah, right? Uh, yeah. People look for third option because, look, um, and I've known about this, you know, you've known about this, you deal with this. In ministry, you deal with it. People look for third option, meaning like, well, I don't want to go to hell, but I really don't want to be a committed Christian, so I sort of want to walk in the in the middle, you know, this, this neutral aspect of it, right? This neutral aspect of it. Um, you know, I, I sort of want this insurance policy in my life that, uh, I want to assure myself that not to go into eternal judgment, but I'm not interested in being different than the world. I want to avoid the curses, right, of God, but I also don't want to be, receive the blessings of God because the blessings of God makes you different. By the way, when you say blessed, it's not talking about material blessing, it's a state of blessing, right? Blessed is the man, like the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are you when they speak evil of you. Well, that's not a blessing, is it? You ever thought about that? Blessed are you when they speak evil of you. So they, they spoke to the prophets the same way. So they persecuted the prophets the same way. Well, how's that a blessing? It's not talking about material possession or something. If it's a state of blessing, it's, a, it's, it's the beatitude speaking of a man who has determined his life to follow the Lord and committed his way to the Lord. Therefore, whatever happens in his life is because God has put him in that situation. And though he's able to accept it, right? 